With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. You're listening to a Score North podcast right now. And if you're a business owner, so are your customers. In fact, I could be talking about your business right now, telling the tens of thousands of loyal fans about you and sending them to your business. Find out how you can partner with your favorite Score North podcast. Visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Fill out the form and we'll get in touch with you quickly. Once Phil, Judd, Declan, or others start talking about your company, you'll be amazed at how many fans start showing up. So visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. You know, as far as what we talked about again in, in our meeting, I'll keep most of that between us. Uh, but I think it was uh, an appropriate time. And I think the guys actually probably wanted to hear it. And, and we hope it helps. And I think it will help. We had we had a team meeting last night, which officially means it's panic season at Target Field. Six straight losses. A lot to get to last night off of that debacle of a baseball game. And it's also old tweets exposed Tuesday on the Mackie and Judd show. But if you're a business that's looking for better insurance, uh, Twins, I don't know if the Twins uh, are going to be working with Federated, but Federated is here to help protect businesses that are at risk. Like, I don't know, the Twins lineup is at risk of not scoring enough runs. Their bullpen is at risk of being worn out because none of their starting pitchers can ever go into the sixth inning. How about the defense? Uh, the Luis de- Arise. The defense could definitely use frontline protection from batted balls. <laughs> bouncing off gloves in the outfield in tie games in the ninth inning, eighth inning, whatever the hell inning it was. Um, but Federated is here to help business owners, and Federated has been around for over 100 years in the state of Minnesota. When you partner with Federated, you get more than just a policy. You benefit from 100-plus years of making businesses as successful as they can be. Visit federatedinsurance.com to find your local representative And remember, at Federated Insurance, it's our business to protect yours. TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. Enjoy more of the things you love with TCL. These two guys have Minnesota sports flowing in their veins. Mackie and Judd on Score North and scorenorth.com. Played exceptionally well early in the year. Um, Kind of showed ourselves what we're we're capable of as a group. Haven't been playing well lately, but... It can happen very quickly where guys can can turn that around. Um, right now, there's there's some music blaring in the clubhouse. Uh, I think guys are ready to turn the page on on what's going on. We know we got to show up tomorrow and, and be ready to go. And I think guys are looking forward to getting here and getting out there and playing. All right, Mackie and Judd, Declan producing here. We'll get to old tweets exposed on the show. But yesterday, I was kind of poking at Judd, like, dude, come on, you're just like you're. This is. This lineup is fine. Like, it's going to be fine. I just want to quick apologize for everything I said to Judd yesterday. Thank you. All the poking that I did yep. to Judd yesterday. Yep. I do. I, the, the thing I do stand by is this lineup will not be as if slumberous is a word. It's a word that I'm going to use here. <laughs> punchless. Punchless. Like, there okay. will be more punch this lineup. Josh Donaldson, fingers crossed, will come back at some point. Um, so I, I do stand by. I think this lineup is going to emerge at some point. But what did we watch at Target Field last night? And what happened in the field in the fourth inning and the ninth inning? Uh, We break baseball games down like they are football on a regular basis here this season because there's only 60 of them. And we better clear the runway for this one, boys, because why why don't you pick where we start? Actually. You pick where we start. Actually, I've got takes on everything. I'd like to pick this. I would like you to play the breaking news sounder. Oh. Dan Hayes of The Athletic. Source, Byron Buxton, along with Michael Pineda, who's going to come back from suspension uh, to start against Dallas Keuchel, against the White Sox, will rejoin the Twins on Tuesday. Josh Donaldson returns on Wednesday. Okay. The that's, rain has come again. That's where things stand as far as the, I, I would say, urgency. High fly ball. Deep left field. Donaldson has left the building here comes the rain shower <laughs> so as far as what's wrong i'd like to start here uh two twofold 
actually. One is not the fact that the Twins have lost six consecutive games, but how they've gone about that. And and I can't I keep coming back to the word lethargic at times. Some of this just looks lethargic. I mean, come on, Max Kepler. I actually have a different word for it. You drop a ball. Well, that Arrog- sure. arrogant. Okay. I don't like the way the Twins, not to hijack here, but like I don't like the way the Twins carry themselves. I feel like the Twins act as if they've accomplished something because they won 103 games last year, and, and they broke the home run record, and that's awesome. Mm-hmm. Those, are, those are cool accomplishments. But you know what the actual accomplishment that matters here is? And I get that these players weren't around like 15 years ago. You guys haven't won a playoff game in 16 years. And so congratulations, you won 103 games, you hit a bunch of home runs last year, and then you walked into the Yankees again, brick wall in the postseason, Mm -hmm. and got your butts handed to you. Mm -hmm. And so I just feel like when I see Max Kepler, nonchalant, laissez-faire, uh, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna put my glove down here and catch it like I'm Andrew Jones, you know, in circa 1998. Uh, I'm just like I'm I am good enough and and arrogant enough where I can literally just flip my glove out in a tie game against a red hot team in your division. He honestly deserved that ball to hop off his glove. Sure and then did. what I didn't love again about Max Kepler when he comes up to the plate in the next inning. All right, it's a chance to rectify things here. You got to put a crooked number up on the board. And it's just a lifeless, terrible at bat. He swings and misses at pitches out of the strike zone and just walks casually back to the dugout and sets his bat back in the bat rack. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm not a huge proponent of just senseless, like, beating of water coolers. But, dude, like, you're a zombie. What happened? And he's having you, a bad year. You dropped a can of corn he's and then struck out in a non-competitive well, at bat and you just, like, walk back to the dugout. Like, uh, hello? And keep, keep in mind, too, that Max Kepler... Nonchalantly tried to catch a ball that really should have been Jake Cave's ball, too. Like this whole, the, the Twins look like a team that's very content to win, to lose, to go home. Um, they're, this, too, they're like too cool for school to engage in the fact that maybe some other teams have passed you by. Nah, we're good. This goes back to what, what um, I, I think it was, I did, wasn't on this one, but I think Nelson Cruz said this in a Zoom call on Sunday after they got swept in the doubleheader at Detroit on Saturday, which was something along the lines of we're lacking urgency, we're just too laid back now. Uh, this is also the re- this is also the one of the reasons why you got Josh Donaldson. He's the guy that that and he did not go on the road trip during which this skid started, but he was the guy. And we talked about this. This locker room has a lot of guys who are very much reflective of Rocco, which is a very laid back. And when things are going well, that's fantastic. Uh, right now they aren't, and you almost can sense. The Twins don't know, and this starts with Rocco. They don't know how to stop it, which is why I'm going to make a very odd Zolgad argument here. I actually think this is a good thing. I think it's a good thing because when the Twins lost their fifth consecutive game in Detroit on Sunday, that's the longest losing streak since Baldelli became manager of this club in 2019. They had, I believe they had a couple of four-game skids in 2019. So six games is by two games the longest. And I think that this is a great opportunity, a fantastic opportunity to address the one thing in sports that needs to happen to eventually have ultimate success, adversity. And I'm not, look, this club might be lost. I have no clue. But I do know this. This is the exact type of time when when Rocco has to, just think about this, when Rocco Baldelli, postgame, has to make the decision, I'm going to close the clubhouse and address this team. That would be you, me, or Dex basically screaming. Like the the translation of Rocco, of what we would consider to be annoyed, Rocco is livid because he's never going to get there, which is just him. But him doing this is a major, major step. And I really believe that in his growth in this job, this becomes a very important time right now because somehow, some way, you've got to get this thing or try to back on track. And you are dealing, Phil, with adversity that really until you got swept out by the Yankees last year and then it was too late, the opportunity to find out a lot about yourself and how you deal in times of, of baseball crisis. Yeah, so so what we heard the sound bites off the top of the show and just here here's the just to play it one more time here, this is Rocco on the closed door meeting. You know, as far as what we talked about again in, in our meeting, I'll keep most of that between us. Uh but I think it was uh 
an appropriate time. And I think the guys actually probably wanted to hear it and, and we hope it helps. And I think it will help. Sometimes I think it's overplayed in a cliche when people say the teams take on the personality of the coach. I think there's, I think sometimes we, we think that that happens, but it's easy to do the mental gymnastics to like all of the chiefs are look like the Kool-Aid man. I don't, I don't know. Like, so I think that's overplayed sometimes, but in this case, I think it's true. There's a lot of great qualities about Rocco, and I think in general his calm, level-headed demeanor serves a team well over 162 games. I don't need Ozzie Gian riding the roller coaster of every single pitch and like getting ejected nine times. Or Gardy, or Garden Hire would would definitely <laughs> would definitely get worked up during like a June game, and sometimes it was unwarranted. I mean, Garden Hire overall was a really good manager for a long time, and is doing great work with the Tigers this year. But I just think. There comes a time where, and Phil Jackson's the best example of this. Like Rocco Baldelli is trying to be Phil Jackson, right? He's he's very meditative. He's very spiritual, not in the religious sense, but he's very he's very much about like live life and be in the now and build human. Don't connection. burden yourself with worry you can't control. Yep, absolutely, exactly. And I and I personally subscribe to a lot of those things, and that's why I like Rocco Baldelli too. But Phil Jackson was the great example of, yeah. We're definitely all of those things, and we're going to like shut the lights off inside the practice facility and practice without a basketball and meditate together. But, And I'm going to sit there for the majority of the game and let you guys solve the problems. But once in a while, I'm going to chew your ass. Mm-hmm. I'm, going to, I'm going to yell at an official, and I'm going to show some fire in a huddle. And I don't think showing fire for the sake of showing fire is always it either. Otherwise, Nick Punto would have been the greatest twin of all time because he like slid into first and pumped his chest. But there's got to be something... There's got to be another level to your managerial game other than I'm just going to sit here and I'm just going to chill and we're going to be chill and but he's we're going to y- manage our bullpen like it's spring training. But he's still and- young and he has to learn that too. That that's the, the thing about last year is that Twins team was damn good, but they really didn't face this ever. I, I think I, this is good. I don't think last year's t- – did they even have a five-game losing four, streak? Two four-gamers. So that they, was yeah. it. So, so they, they never like faced this. Yeah. They never had this. Um, and and I, I did ask Baldelli in the Zoom call after the game last night. I said, "So who talked here?" Because I wanted to, I wanted to find out. Like, did you? Because a lot of times he'll default to like Cruz, right, and things like that. And he said, "No, only I talked," which is a good thing. That's a good because at some point in time, I think to your point, it's great to have veteran players. It's great to have presences who can help in the clubhouse. But there probably become some pressure points or crisis points where it has to be you. Yeah. And he said, I talked. Another thing, too, just to just, – and I get that we are this season. We are in the middle of a sprint. Everything is magnified. We are breaking down baseball like it is football on this show every day football. very purposefully, and it's fun. And so I want I wanna to distinguish you know, overreacting to what is a pretty standard thing to happen even to good teams. Like, good teams are going to lose games. Remember that one year where the Dodgers went to the World Series, but they lost, like, 17 of 19 games And in look September at the Yankees right now. Yep. They're in so, a skid. So, on the one hand, this is baseball. It is very rare for good teams to not go through stretches where they lose five in a row, six in a row, nine out of 11, whatever, and the sky is falling. Mm-hmm. But something about this feels different, and something about last night felt different. And I'm glad that Rocco Baldelli also sensed that and sensed that this was the moment that just a couple of these things that I saw tonight did not look and feel right. It's one thing if the offense isn't clicking and whatever, like you're you're just not getting the hits that you would get. It's another thing when you're boneheaded infield, when a triple play is handed to you on a silver platter and you get one out out of it and your right fielder is nonchalantly walking over and trying to, you know, hot dog a pop-up in a key situation of a close divisional game. Like what is going through your mind in these situations and I'm glad that Rocco recognized that, and we'll see what comes out of it. And it, they also, in uh, last night's game, he put a huge uh, priority on trying to win. Duffy came in in the what the fourth last night, which was a great call. Yeah, I love that's that. a great call. It was it was, but for Rocco, that's a massive step. Like that is a mm-hmm. I want this game tonight, and he went what Duffy, Clippard, May, Romo, Rogers, everything that Rocco did. Not his team. Uh, last night was geared towards saying this has to end, and I'm going to end this streak right now. And they still didn't, and it was their fault. Yeah. And Look, it, yeah. when when the Chicago White Sox make not one, not two, but three errors in one inning, 
and basically they gift you a three nothing that becomes four rip lead, right? You're at home, and I know there's no fans, but you lose. The Chicago White Sox gents last night, runners in scoring position were four for twenty. The Chicago White Sox did everything they could. I mean, they're they're a nice bopping team, but they did everything they could to allow Rocco to win that game for his team. And his team, I think to Phil's point here, seemingly worked against him to still try and find a way to snatch a a loss from the jaws of that victory. Uh, I I have, we'll save it for a second here. I have a a take that I feel like is is very un-Mackie-like about that triple play that should have been turned. Love it. But I saw Declan had a claw in hand last night couple. for his for his couple seltzers in video, and I want him <laughs> to have the floor here too because do you agree? I mean, I will say that's the most frustrating Twins game of the season, and maybe the most frustrating Twins game, not including the Yankees postseason series, since Rocco Baldelli became manager. It's definitely up there. It was extremely frustrating, and just the sloppy play of the of the defense and whatnot. And I loved, but like what Judd was saying, he wanted to put out the fire quick. He puts in Tyler Duffy what in the in the fourth inning, and he gives Tyler Duffy the the leash to go out for the second inning too which was huge because we've just seen him be basically a one-inning specialist, mm-hmm. which I don't understand since how lights out he's been. So I like that he basically went to all of his horses, Duffy, Clifford, May, Romo, Rogers. Those are your five best relievers right now. And unfortunately, your offense can't buy a hit. I mean, five hits last night, and especially after the three innings, when you take a four-run lead, you got to figure out a way to obviously get more clutch hits in late situations. But... With the guys coming back and with the Twins basically never facing adversity last year, you knew this was, go- this was going to happen. So, yes, it's, it was a frustrating loss. I don't think it's time to panic. I look at a team like Chicago last night who was slop- just as sloppy as you were. They were just less sloppy than the Twins. So, I, I, like, the White Sox don't necessarily – I'm not scared of them making a deep postseason run. All it takes for the Twins is to go off on another five-game winning streak and you're right back in this thing. You're two games back of the Central. And it's going to take an awful lot for you to miss the playoffs. I know Jake DePew sounding the alarm last night in the trade deadline special saying that, you know, he's freaking out. It's not a lock. No, you're going to make the postseason. And if there's no home field advantage, honestly, I'm not saying the seating doesn't matter, but it's not as important as it was if there was a home field advantage mm-hmm. crowd. So I'm not, sure. I'm not worried yet. I'm really not. This comes as close. So, so since we started doing the show, Phil, there's been lots of times, and it's hard to articulate at times. There's been lots of times when we talk about hockey and I talk about effort, right? And you're like, what? Well, what's effort mean? Like, it goes back and forth, ebbs and flows. Um, if you watch hockey a lot, you sort of get that. If you don't, you might, you might not. Um, baseball rarely mirrors hockey in most ways. I will say this. The way the Twins have played of late feels like what I'm talking about when I talk about a hockey team looks engaged or not. The Twins don't look engaged. And so so to Dex's point, everything he said might be true, but they've got to flip the switch back on. And, and look, I get it. You're going to go through struggles. There's going to be downturns offensively. You're going to go back up and down at times. Um, and that's going to happen. I get that. But when you have a rise, butcher a play that could have been, at the very least, a double play, if not a triple play, when Max Kepler, who's playing horse bleep to start with, nonchalantly just drops a ball, that mirrors what I'm talking about in hockey sometimes when I simply say, are you engaged or yeah. not? Because if, if you're not engaged, you're going to do the, the little to big things that are going to cost you games. And think, so you use the phrase flip the switch, which I, I agree with. It, it, it does feel like, hey, guys, hello. It's not spring training anymore here. This is, this is September, and I get that the season's been weird, but... But now the postseason is is in sight. And I think if you had a group of guys that was just like super worried about COVID and families, I could understand that. And maybe there is a component to that. Maybe some guys are just just not as into it this year because it's just a weird year. And I guess mm-hmm. unless someone goes out and publicly says it, which I don't think anyone would, I don't think you're going to get like an active player on the roster say, I don't think Jorge Polanco is going to come out and say, you know, the reason why my OPS is under 700 is because I just can't get into the season. It's like COVID has got me it's a great paralyzed point, with fear. Like, he's never going to say that. Right. Um, so the only thing we're left to assume is that, yeah, they're just like, they're not really all into this for other reasons. And when you talk about flipping the switch, we usually reserve that concept for teams that have won multiple championships. Boy, the Lakers have won three straight championships, and they just don't get really jazzed for the regular season anymore. And so I guess they'll flip the switch Come May, right? 
boy, the Warriors have been a dynasty for six years. And so that game in January against the Brooklyn Nets just doesn't really grind their gears. And so, like, Steph Curry, maybe when it gets to, like, a nationally televised game against the Lakers on a Saturday, they'll flip the switch. Mm-hmm. What has this team done to be given the ability to choose whether they flip the switch or not? Like, why why is this team not just grinding to prove what they wanted to prove last year and take it a step further? Or am I overreacting to, like, them playing poorly and assuming that it's because they're – it looks to me with the eye test yep. that they are just sleepwalking through some of these games yep. and that the manager – and I have given the manager a pass because I think he is managing his pitching staff in the bullpen and even his lineup in some cases as if it's spring training. And I have given him a pass on that because the ultimate goal is to make it to October healthy. Football. Can we talk about the the fourth inning? Yeah, let's talk. Of course, about, we can. That's fine. Um, have you guys ever had an experience in your lives watching sports or anything? I mean, this applies to sports, but like where one game or one play or one moment changed your entire opinion about a subject, about a player, about a person. Hmm. I have to give that a yeah, lot a, more detailed thought. I'll give you a couple. It, it probably has happened. So Blair Walsh is one for me. Like, when Blair Walsh missed that 27-yard field goal against the Seahawks. I already didn't trust him by that. Really? Yeah. Was there anything to not... I don't think His there was rookie year was great, but after him. that, he started to scuffle sometimes, and you could see that coming. Was that the year he struggled in preseason, maybe, or something? Yeah, and Zimmer hates kickers, and he was a mental midget and... But no that, offense but, to small people. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, that no, I didn't trust him by then. I'm trying to think of somebody who I really thought was pretty good at what they did. And here, here's here's the thing about, I think, what you're about to broach. Smart at what they did. Like previously thought, oh, this guy's pretty savvy, right? Good yeah, approach, or, to, good approach to the game, right? I think for me, it's a, so Blair Walsh is one for me, and it and and the other one that just really stands out is, and not that he was like highly tough. When Aaron Brooks, the quarterback for <laughs> the Saints, when he <laughs> a remember, when he and he was like he was just an average quarterback, and he was fine and had like one or two good seasons, but like when that guy spazzed out and turned around and threw a ball like 20 yards backwards because he lost where he, track of where he was on the field. It's like, dude, what what, what are you doing? Like, whatever I thought of you before, like, you're an idiot. Like, what are you doing? Blair Walsh, whoa, you just let that moment swallow you whole and you weren't able to at all take a deep breath and just kick a ball through the uprights like you've been doing your whole life from 27 yards. Are you about to draw the comparison of losing respect? I think you are. Luis Arise. Wow. Okay. So the bases are loaded. Nobody out, right, at that point? Nobody out. Correct. Correct. Yeah, because the triple play was was in play. Danny Mendick at the plate. And it's a line drive. So I get that, like, as you're processing this, there's a line drive hit at you, and your first thought is to try and catch it. Mm -hmm. But the ball hits the ground, all right? Which, by the way, at that moment, looks on purpose. Looks very savvy. Looks, oh, 100% looks savvy. genius, actually. It's, it's the workaround of the infield fly on a ball that's not the infield fly. And it can't be the infield fly because it, was, it wasn't it was high enough. Correct. It was just, it was a line drive. It's it was a workaround. A, it was a perfect recipe. You actually had two paths for a triple play. This is so geeky, but it's so true. I, I had to watch this like 10 times because because the players were all so confused. I got confused and I was yeah. like, whoa, okay, yeah. let's deconstruct this. Yep. No, it is basically a ground ball. So let's start with the fact that it was it was basically a ground ball, right? Mm-hmm. Once the ball hits your glove and hits the ground, it might as well have been a 13 hopper out to you, and now you're playing it like a ground ball. Mm-hmm. So before we get to the triple play possibilities, right off the bat, a 6-4-3, or in this case it would have been a four unassisted three because of the way that they were shifting. But he was play, shifting right? towards shortstop, yep. right? Yeah. But it's it's literally like the your 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 first instinct there, I would think, would be well, let's let's step on the bag for one, throw to first, double play, run scores, you know, in a standard situation. And that's what I was thinking, yes. Although in that spot, the run probably doesn't score. So you get two outs, and now there's two on base. And, the, and it's like, that's the first, just, and again, I'm not trying to sit here and, like, I've never played Major League Baseball, obviously, but he has. And this type of play happens. So So the double play did not come to his mind. The two triple play opportunities were, one, you could throw home just to get the lead runner first. Then probably throw to third because that runner's still like easy home to third, and then maybe even throw back to second or first right. to complete a triple play. Right. But as Roy Smalley chimed in, major league shortstop for fifteen years on Twitter last night, he he was just like tortured. 
this was a ready-made triple play, and then all you have to do is tag the runner that is still standing on second base because he is being forced to run to third. Correct. Him standing on second does not matter. He is a live he runner. He has to go to third. You tag the runner that's standing on second base, and then you step on the base to force the other guy who's at first base, and then you throw to first base to get the batter. And it's the easiest triple play you'll ever turn in your life. In fact, you probably could have turned it unassisted by just running to first base, right, in that spot. And so all of these possibilities to get either three outs, three outs, or two outs, and you spaz and get one, how is that possible? Jorge Polanco is also an accomplice here because he could have tagged the runner that was standing two feet from him off the base, mind you, and gotten the second out to at least get two outs. Yeah. To not get at least two outs in that spot is impossible for Major League infield. Yeah. It is so worthy of over-the-top criticism. And my and my my thought instantly went to, how did you get... It, it's and I get that it's kind of a big game because you're playing the White Sox and you're trying to catch them in the division, but like you are a Major League infielder, and it is not like Game 7 of the World Series. How are you getting swallowed up that badly by something that's not that complicated. What happened on that play? Like, my opinion of Luis Arise is so different now than it was 24, 48 hours ago. Well, he completely freaked out. and He yeah, spazzed. I thought, I thought, at the very least, it's an easy-as-can-be double play. And yeah, Smalley's right, triple play. That being said, the amazing thing is, when, when you think about 2020, how advanced baseball's become, right? Analytics and shifting and all of that stuff. And a play like that, a guy has no idea what to do or or in the moment gets swallowed up by it and loses all sense of, I've got at least two outs here. And then, so, okay, so that play alone is frustrating. But let's say that's the lone play and it gets screwed up and Arise sort of freaked out. But let's take the totality of three fielding plays last night, some of which did, like Arise's, get outs. And let's let's put that into the blender of what's going on with this team right now, okay? There's obviously the Kepler play, which is an inexcusable stupid drop because it looked like he was nonchalanting the ball. But I want to talk about the Duffy play with, I believe it was a guy on first base and a comebacker uh, was hit to Duffy. Nobody out, runners on first and second. Instead of doing what you would expect, which is let the guy go to third, turn around and get the one six three or one four three, and two, and now now there's a, a guy in third, but there's two outs. Duffy picks the ball up and just sort of like um, with blinders on, blinders. Like I'm thinking, you throw it a second. Yeah. Like as the play unfolds, so I'm thinking this. Yeah. So so because the arise play got sort of confusing. But it oh it did it wasn't though it no, wasn't it, it wasn't do not let him off the hook it wasn't it's one of the most but embarrassing saying, plays in major league history. What I'm saying is in the moment I get the oh my god I don't know what to do and no. you should know what to do no no but no no but the Duffy thing is in real time and going through my head is. One six three, one six three, one, and he picks the ball up with blinders on and throws to third. And by the way, almost throws the ball away. Marwin <laughs> makes a nice play to uh, stretch off the third base bag like a first baseman and get the play and get the ball. But those three plays, I think, signify where this team is at right now, sort of mentally, and that goes back to our conversation of being engaged. Like those are those are in their own right, are three decisions that should not have been that difficult yeah. for people who are paid to play the game. Yeah, I I agree. The yeah, I, I I won't I'll give I'll give Duffy more of a pass because at least he thought get the lead runner. Like his first thought was I can get the lead runner. Right. I can prevent a guy from being on third base. But you get so, a double play. I, I agree. I, getting the double play is more advantageous there, but at least he thought I can get the lead runner. I don't know what Luis Arise was thinking. Oh, I think he freaked out. He didn't think He freaked out. And and he just he just like he didn't even think to do anything himself. He just he just spazzed and just like gave the ball like a hot potato to Polanco. He didn't know what to do. Uh, you deal with this. He did not what know do what to do. What do you mean deal with it? There's literally like four vulnerable base runners right well, now. You can get a quadruple play. You can get a quadruple play just to show off. What are you doing? And what's so? Fu- it is one of the, the most ridiculously stupid plays I've ever seen watching professional sports. But what's so frustrating? We should not let him off the hook. But what's so frustrating about that play is ultimately he would have been better off in the end with how he played that ball to actually just catch it. But when he <laughs> dropped it, you thought you you thought when you went back and watched it, you thought the drop is brilliant. Like he is starting the yes. triple play. 
by by taking advantage of a rule that doesn't protect anybody on base here. The reason I got confused, it was, it was twofold. The White Sox didn't move is what sort well, of confused me. Yeah, well, so the reason but you're I, right about what you're the saying. reason I got confused was like, oh, I thought the bases were was the graphic wrong. I thought the bases were loaded. No, they were. Yeah. Oh, was there? Was there not a did I, was there was there like a did these guys like steal a base when I was not looking or something? It's like no, the bases are low. And then so I got into this a uh, couple text discussions with friends uh, about this exact play and like and one of them was saying, well, you ha- like a gr- it's a ground ball. It's it's let's just it's a ground ball. Once it hits the glove, it hits the ground. It's a ground ball. Mm-hmm. And so those runners have to run. Like those guys. Why did the White Sox runners not run? To which I said, I don't know because they're idiots too. Like yes, you have to run. It's a ground ball now. And and we kept we kept going back to like well, okay. Once the ball is flipped to second base, and the force because the one out was a force at second base. Can the runner that's that was on second base that was supposed to go to third? Can he now go back and occupy second? And the answer is yes. It just you just never see it unless it's a rundown. You know, put you know put yourself in the scenario of runners on first and second, and the runner on second is Roycey. Yep, it's just like very slow, right? And he's in his mid seventies. And a ground ball is hit to shortstop, and so there's runners on first and second, nobody out, and it's a six four three standard double play. And the first, so now there's two outs, and and Royce presumably is running to third, but he's too slow, and so the first baseman throws to third because Royce's not there yet. Royce can retreat back to second now because the the force was so that's in effect what the White Sox tried to do without knowing what they were doing. Oh, there's a force at second, so I can just occupy this base, but. Like, it's still impossible to not get at least two outs on that play. It's impossible. The White Sox the White Sox runners, especially the guy in second base, assumed that Arise was going to catch the ball because it looked like he was going to. And once he didn't, they were all sort of like, oh, screw it, we're dead. All four of them were available to be out and he's, in a three-out And Arise, Arise basically said, oh, no, no, I don't know what to do, so don't worry about it. <laughs> how Just do you stay not know put. what to do? But, but You're he, a Major League Baseball player! He screwed it up so bad that the umpires had to go watch the review. Basically, I think just to regroup. <laughs> yes, be, be, because the umpires like you didn't have to review. Happened. You didn't really have to. Like by the letter of the law, all of that was crystal clear. So they basically had to go call New York and say what just happened here. It would be like in the NFL if like there it was like it was like a Jim Marshall play in yes. the NFL, but like where everybody went the wrong way and, yes. you're, and the referees are like. <laughs> Did I like what am I am I hallucinating? What is happening right now? Yes. But it just when I talk about I I'm overreacting clearly when I say that like it changes my entire perception of him as a player, but it do, it makes me think differently about him as a player that he had that level of blue screen mental glitch in that yeah. situation. Well, the, like dude, what are you doing? What like what other situations are you not thinking something through clearly? This is the guy that goes to the plate and literally tries to call balls and strikes, and you think he's pretty baseball savvy. I mean, he must be. He's engaged yeah, so constantly, we, right? We, also don't, we don't need the lap around the whole infield every time you fall off a pitch, though. Okay, since I'm griping about our guy, I'm Luis glad you see you're turning on Luis we, we don't need you to walk to the backstop anyway, in the fifth inning. Anyway, of a, like, that's an all that's an all timer as far as bleeped it up. Just like you're that. exactly right. <sighs> hey, I got one for you. Get off my chest. Football, and I I was at the game. Last night, so I couldn't watch it, but I understand it came through crystal clear. Sounds of the game last night. Oh, it was great. Sounds of the game last night. Um, I asked Lavelle halfway through, and he told me at that point we had we had no fewer than six f bombs dropped by Twins pitchers, which could be heard loud and clear. What did Rich Hill? Uh, I didn't hear Rich Hill's reaction after the second walk in the fourth inning. Or the actually, he walked the first three I guys heard, in the fourth inning. I heard there was one clear f bomb from Hill. There were three from Clippard, including mm-hmm. in, and Clippard and May when they both left the mound. Yes, just screamed. I saw the Clippard ones. Ah, the, the May one was clear as day too. And did did uh, did Dick apologize? Yes, he apologized. I, I heard he's like, for, I'm very sorry I'm for the sorry. Oh. He apologized for the Clippard one. Did he apologize for Luis Arise's mental glitch too? <laughs> I don't think he did. Sorry, I think I'm, he admitted I'm, that. I'll one. drop it. I'll drop it. I'm sorry. <laughs> Sounds of the game though. I'll drop it just this like is he what did. I wanted from baseball. I love this. Great. Passion. All right. I have I have one more question off the off the relievers last night. Mm-hmm. Trevor May allowed that home run and then dropped the bomb. 
You think he was thinking about video games on that pitch that oh. he threw inexplicably down the Dude, middle why, of the plate? Dude, why are you so obsessed that with such that a bad pitch? Why are you so obsessed with it? Was this? he thinking about Fortnite just a little bit? Just a little bit? You know what? Get all, get over no. it, man. I mean, yeah, it's not a good pitch. It was a bad pitch. But actually, can we talk about the player who hit that ball? Luis, I'm going to call him Robert because it sounds so much better than Robert. Yeah, Lou, Lou Robert is like Lou the, Robert like, that's sounds like, the like my next door neighbor, yeah. man. He's Luis, Luis Robert. Robert. It yeah. sounds like a hockey player. Um, how much fun is this guy going to be to watch for years to come? And I know well, he plays if, for the White if, Sox. If you're a Twins fan, not very much. Oh, come on. But he's an awesome player. But as a baseball fan, as a yeah. baseball fan, I, I would put this guy right now, if, you, if I was to put together a list of, let's say, Top five up-and-coming guys that are going to be the face of baseball. Tatis is one, I think, because he's just a great player. I think this guy is 1,000% top five, though. He is. I think Eloy Jimenez is also really fun to watch. Did you also notice, I didn't I didn't realize that they called this guy up a week ago, but how quickly they turned around the number 4 overall pick from 2018, Nick Madrigal, who's now batting eighth and hitting oh, I didn't 400 know he was, in his first. Oh, he was picked out. Okay. That dude was the number 4 yeah. overall. I saw him at the play no last kidding. night, and I was like, Wait, didn't we just see him on MLB Network like a year ago? 2018, number four overall pick. Wow. He played in the he played at Oregon State in the Pac-12, and I believe he played against the Gophers in that uh, and isn't, that super um, regional. I believe Larnick wasn't he an Oregon State guy? Trevor Larnick, I yeah. think he was. Yeah, was he? that's right. So he might yeah. have been teammates with him. Yeah. And so so wow. so they have they ha- they whatever they're doing to churn out these position players. Nick Madrigal gets called up, and obviously, like there wasn't a minor league season, so he's not doing anything else. But he is now hitting 400 in his first eight games as the number nine hitter in Chicago. You know, that's ridiculous. This brings up a very intriguing point to me. With the way the Twins are struggling and the way some guys are playing, why wouldn't you tap into St. Paul? It seems like everybody else, or, or I shouldn't say that, it seems like a lot of teams around the league are making that move because I think this is a really good year to get a look. Yeah, I mean, Nick Madrigal is a great example. Yeah, and these guys aren't. It's not like they're playing. It's not like they're. It's not like the justification can be. um, Larnick's getting valuable in-game experience on a daily basis. He's Mm -hmm. simply not. Why wouldn't you do that? And and Falvian in a Zoom call yesterday sort of threatened it. He's like, we might bring him up this year, but. I would yeah. be more proactive, I so, think. So part of it is the positions that these guys play. Like the White Sox had an opening in their infield, uh, they, they, at least they thought, and so Nick Madrigal gets called up. Mm-hmm. Well, the the Twins' top prospects, outside of Roy, Royce Lewis, if you look at specifically Rooker, like the big thumper bats, Rooker, yep. Larnick, and Kirilov. Yep. And And let's just even say that it's a stretch to call most of those guys up. Rooker's played at least some AAA, and so it's not that much of a stretch. Kirloff has not really performed well above single A, but let's just say we think he's ready. He's not doing anything else. Let's bring these guys up and see what happens. Mm-hmm. Um, they play corner outfield and first base, and so you'd then have to make a tough decision and say, sorry, Eddie, Max, or Miguel, and Miguel's the hottest hitter on the team right now, or or DH, Nelson Cruz ain't going anywhere. So you would literally be saying Eddie Rosario, Max Kepler, both of whom are struggling, especially Max Kepler, this would be a pretty good time to send Max Kepler a little message that says, that's wake what, up, buddy. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking, too. And and here's here's my, my solution to that dilemma, at least short term. That's not ideal, but it's not going to kill you. Buxton's hurt or was hurt. He's coming back tonight, though. No, I know. But previously, Jake Cave was playing a lot. Like, God bless Jake Cave, uh, but he is a bench player. Why not? Why not take... Um, Kepler put him in center, which is not ideal. I get that, but if that allows me now to take a look see at a guy in right field, no. I far prefer that than Jake Cave playing on a regular basis. I would agree with that. Wouldn't I don't. I, I don't. I've never understood the fascination with Jake Cave. I think yeah. he's an overrated defensive outfielder. He makes a lot of boneheaded mistakes. He did have a big hit last night, so he deserves credit for that. But I just don't know. He when you talk about mental mistakes and and guys just like spacing out Jay Cave is near the top of that list for Twins players these last couple of years I remember last year I think it was uh it was right after the trade deadline and Fab was addressing the media in the press box in that little workroom area and there was a play and I to right field and Jake Cave just totally butchered it and Fab like someone was a- asked Fabi a question he was in the middle of the answer of why they didn't make a move at the deadline blah 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 and then he just stopped and examined the play for a while and just went huh like you could clearly tell 
that he like he stopped his entire train of thought and looked, realized like man we got to get Buxton back immediately because yeah. it was just like <laughs> huh I never forget his like body language of just being like that can't happen anymore. That's amazing. That's the one frustrating thing I think about um, this this front office staff and Baldelli though. They have a weird deal of relying on the people they have as if they don't understand what the limits of those people are. Uh, Adrianza, Jake Cave, this kid that they got from the D-backs, Vargas. Like it's – I get that they can play, okay? And I get that if they have to play, they're pressed into action, but but they all have sort of expiration dates of playing. And it's sort of like the twins are like, ah, but we've got him. It's like, well, no. And but and and again, in 2020, you literally have human beings who are probably better than these guys. And I could go get them in my car and drive them to Target Field. Yeah, it's uh, football. It's like I I will go. This guy's getting overexposed for sure. But I'll go pick them up. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure they like. like that's my offer. Can you? I'll pick, go get Larnick. Put a mask on. Stick him in the back of, of my car with a mask on. Both of us. Yeah. Socially distanced, and I will drive him to Target Field and drop him off. Hey, uh, now that you guys have had time to digest as we break things down here, you've had almost, I don't know, whatever, 20 hours to digest the Twins not making a move at the trade deadline. What are your thoughts a day later after sleeping on it? It doesn't bother me one bit. I am, if if this was a normal season and the team had been playing in April, May, June into uh, July and the deadline was July 30th and this team was a pitcher or two away, I'd be frustrated. And last year I definitely was. But to backtrack to what we talked about yesterday, in this season I cannot get super worked up. Um, This team should make the playoffs. Hell, this team should probably have some success there. But as far as the – unless you could have gotten a controllable player, probably a pitcher, okay, in a deal, um, if we're potentially talking about rentals or short-term guys for, for any of my top prospects, in 2020, I'm not doing it. Now, that does not take the pressure off for next year, but when we're talking about such a unique season – it's really hard for me to get upset, you guys. Um, I again, like, I'm, not to rehash our argument from yesterday, but I don't. I am. I am past the unique season part of this. To me, it is September. The Twins yeah. are in a playoff race, and the playoffs start in a month. And there were players to be had. I understand that their their main get better strategy is well. We've like when our roster is fully intact, there's not a lot of areas that you would obviously look to upgrade, and they're right about that. Like once this lineup is intact. You're just kind of riding your dying with whether or not Eddie Rosario is hot or not. And Josh Donaldson and like there's not a spot in that lineup where you're like, boy, that's a why is Matt Tolbert starting at shortstop? Like they don't have that spot in their lineup when everyone's healthy. Now Jake Cave is starting right now because Buxton's been out, but Buxton comes back, you got your outfield back intact. So I get the lineup part of it. I I'm not advocating that they should have brought in, you know, somebody to replace Max Kepler because he's cold. But like um on the pitching side. Who's their second lefty? Who's their first lefty? Taylor Rogers is not the same guy he was last year. So your lefties are basically Lewis Thorpe, Taylor Rogers, and Caleb Thielbar. There wasn't a lefty reliever out there that you could have gotten your hands on. There was. I, I know. <laughs> I agree. Yeah. Well, Josh Hader's the one you're thinking That's of. That's who I would. No have, way. I'm I not. You're it. not giving up the price tag for to get him right now. No if, way. If your starters, you're crazy. If your starters can't go five, you need another swingman, fireman like Josh Hader in this bullpen to to tandem them. Would you guys have given up Royce Lewis for Josh Hader? No. I, 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 I wouldn't have gone that far. I, I think need, I would have. I need my trade chips in place for the winter and 2021. All right, Terry Ryan. I need my yeah, I need my top. Look, if I could have traded a minor prospect, you know what? That uh, that Boston trade that, that uh, Jim Bowden proposed was absolutely fine. Actually, that's, we, had, we, we forgot to bring those up yesterday. Let me throw these out here. That's fine. So MNB.com had these bold trade predictions. One of them was Royce Lewis and other prospects to San Francisco. For Mike Yastrzemski, uh, Mike who's been great as an outfielder the last year. That's Carl Yastrzemski's grandkid, I yeah, believe. Yeah, grandson, yes. He's been fantastic. He's also 30 years old Yeah, and a career minor league. His, his emergence has me scratching my head sometimes. It's odd. And you would never trade Royce Lewis for him. No, sir. Nor is he better than when all of your outfielders are performing at their peak. He's not better than any of them. So um, The other one is more interesting. This was Jorge Polanco, who signed. He's under contract for like five more years. Jorge Polanco and Royce Lewis to Boston for one of the best infielders in all of baseball in his prime, Xander Bogarts. 
who can opt out of his current $20 million a year contract after 2022. So you would get him for the stretch run this year, 2021 and 2022. He's better than Jorge Polanco, has more upside than Jorge Polanco. He's really good, yes. But you'd be giving up Polanco and Royce Lewis to get him. That makes me pause. I would give up either one of those two players and other prospects for Xander. Putting both those players in the same package for Xander is where I just get a little squeamish. Oh, I but I, but, I, but this is not as outlandish of a of a trade. Like, of course, for Twins fans, like we're not giving up that much. Well, that's if you want to get Xander Bogarts on your team, that's what you have to give up. You want to get Josh Hader on your team, you got to give it Royce Lewis. Mm-hmm. Like that's the asking price. And actually, that's the beef I have is that the Twins for 15 years and 20 years have stared at the price tags at the trade deadline and have always said, "Well, oh, I'd love to have that jacket." And then they turn the price tag like four hundred dollars. $400? Yeah, yeah and you know that's what? That's what it costs. It's up to you. Do you want the jacket or not? Unfortunately, this is the one year where I say keep the jacket. <laughs> Sorry. I just can't. I want to have all of my my chips in place for when I'm playing a real season. There's there's too many variables to this entire thing, including including one, Phil, that you broached. And I can't tell who it's impacting, but the problem is I can't tell who it's not. Ordinarily, I would say the Twins should suck it up, shut up, and play. This is disgusting. What the hell are they doing? I'd go on a rant, right? But you're right when you say, you know, let's say three guys are COVID checked out. That's a lot of people checked out. But I also can't go to them and be like, get over it. Grow up. You know? There's too many variables. The first round scares me. So so the Padres go make all of these trades. And they look, you know, it's so much fun. The Padres won. The Padres as they did about five years back when they won the winter. The Padres have now won. Congratulations, the trade deadline. And it's, it looks great. Yeah, and you know what? They've won 11 out of 13 because they're, they're jacked. They're ready to and go. And you know what they got? And they make aggressive moves. And you know what they got? They got the chance that they're going to lose two weird games in the first round and go home. Okay, but that chance exists when you have a five-game series, too. Every year. Like, I understand baseball that. playoffs are a crapshoot. You I just have to that. pick a year and go sometimes. But two, but two out of three, to me, is a bigger crapshoot than three out of five. And I just want to do it in a normal season. If the, I'll put it this way. I wouldn't trade Royce Lewis for Josh Hader right now. Declan said he would. But I wouldn't rip them if they did. If they decided, listen, this is a huge... We know this is going to bite us because Royce Lewis is going to be awesome. The White Sox are feasting off of teams that have given them all these top prospects, and Yon Moncada. They gave up to Chris Sale, right? Yes. Um, yeah, they've they've, but but the, the, but that's the price that you have to pay. Sometimes the Cubs literally yeah, let like, all these amazing young players go for the chance at Araldis Chapman to help them win a World I Series. I don't disagree. I'm just at saying at some I point you have to make. That I agree decision. with you. I'm just saying I wouldn't do it this year. Okay. That's what credit cards are for. You you worry about the cost <laughs> down the line, dude. It's, Football. That's what, that's how you, you know put what, the four hundred dollars down. It's called <laughs> unforgivable debt. Because once you die, the credit card company's done. Goes away. <laughs> um, can we, a couple of quick things, and we do it, we're, we're running long here. We have to wrap with Royce and get to Old Tweets Exposed. But um, but we have daily Vikings conversations, and we will have plenty of Vikings conversations here on Mackie and Judd too. But for deep dives and longer episodes, Purple Daily is the place, Apple, Spotify, and scorenorth.com. And also our YouTube channel, thanks to all of you and even random people who have just been stumbling into our videos on, on YouTube, we can see like half of the traffic is people stumbling in. Who are these two clowns, these three clowns talking about the Vikings? It's YouTube.com slash Purple Daily Podcast. And uh, we're up over 9,000 subscribers, pushing our way to 10, and we appreciate it. So uh, so give us a shout on Purple Daily as well. But this is where Declan Goff goes into the Twitter archives. Judd and I have been tweeting since 2009, and he goes back and embarrasses us by doing searches. So what do you got for us? All right, Phil. Here you go, buddy. Oh, my God. This is from March 29th. Hello, 2018. Uh, Phil Mackey, Twins win prediction. <laughs> I'll say 92 wins oh, for no. the Twins and a date with Boston in the AL wildcard oh, game. No. Maybe a bit optimistic, but I think they trade prospects for a pitcher at the deadline, too. The Twins did not win 92 games. They did not go to the AL wildcard game, and they did not uh, trade prospects for a pitcher at the deadline. I mean, I wasn't that far off. They won 78. They won 78. <laughs> so you were close. I was only 14 wins off. That's a good one, Dex. Very, what, very good. What was what was their pitching staff that year? Oh, that was the, Trevor Hildenberger was in that bullpen. That was the Lance, what to him? Lance Lynn and Lomo <laughs> year and Addison Reed and those guys. Uh, Kyle yeah, because we, we were high on that team when they got uh, Lynn. 
Lomo, we all thought, oh, my God, these are bargain basement signings. It's going to be great. Fernando Romero made 11 starts for that team. What happened to that guy? Remember, he was their top pitching prospect. For he looked good for three starts. Um, he's still, he's still, I think, in, in his home country after being sent home because he was found something. Oh boy! Fernando Rodney had twenty-five saves for the Twins that year. Taylor, uh, Trevor, he caught snowflakes seven. on his tongue in what Pittsburgh? Yeah, it was fun. It was snowing in Pittsburgh, and he was yeah, that was great. Yeah. So, all right, I was a little off, just a little off on that one. Well, don't worry, because uh, Judge Zolget also made a twenty eighteen win prediction. Now his was a little more tamed, but he says I'll put the Twins. At 85 wins this season. Uh, old producer Dave Harrigan said 87. Phil Mackey said 90. He actually said 92. I like, what's your prediction? No, this uh, is no, this is 2016. This is 2016, which was even worse. That because was the-, the 2016 Twins won a league worse. What was it like? 103 losses. Oh, my God! Oh, my God! Phil saw that. That's so much better. Oh, my God. You know what, though? It only got five likes. Somebody knew I was on drugs. Oh, man. How did that only get five likes? I feel like you're more engaging than that. So Mackie said 90 not. wins for 2016. I, I suppose you're you're riding the middle here by just blandly saying that they're going to win 85 games. I should have predicted here, so. the actual I I should have been closer to the real thing. Actually, the one they that's were done getting by off, April 29th. The one that's getting off scot free here is WCCO radio producer Dave Harrigan also deserves to be ripped for predicting 87 games in the year in which they lost 103. Oh. They were literally 59 and 103. They were done by April 28th or 29th. <laughs> they lost 10 in a row. They were done in April 10th. Yeah. Let's take a look at their schedule here. Oh, God. People were excited that year, right? They were. Didn't they open well, a ball they, tomorrow or something? They were coming off the 2015 yeah. year where they oh had a pop-up. Yeah, so, they, you know. they challenged. Uh, I, I think they were playing Kansas City at Target Field going into the final weekend yeah. in 2015, and they had an outside chance, and the Royals blew them away. Yes, they did. But it was still exciting. It was. They, yeah, they started 0-9. They started 0-9. They, then they won four in a row to get to 4-9. and nine. All right, we're chugging chugging our way back up the hill. There we go. But then they eventually went back off the tracks. They were 10-31 and 31 at one point. Oh, my God. 20-48. Oh, Some real bad stuff Not here. Not good. And then, of course, as, as this always happens, these teams just totally check out. And they wound up losing every game from August 17th until September. <laughs> <laughs> they just, they lost every game for two weeks. Providing the Mackie and Judd show with just the boost we needed. I, I, I do think uh, Byron Buxton went off, though, in that September. He had like 10 home runs in that September of 2016, right. and that was kind of the first, oh, this might be legitimate. Are you going to self-report I am going to self-report. It has nothing to do with the win total. It just is one of the embarrassing Declan tweets from 2012. Phil, you'll appreciate it being the beat writer and my horrible spelling, which still exists to this day as a 27-year-old. Um <laughs> This is why the lineup is dangerous. When you got a guy like Danny Valencia batting seventh, good things are going to oh happen. God. April 9th, 2012. Oh when you got a guy like Danny, Danny Valencia, Valencia. Danny Swaggy Dan- V, right. a guy like Danny. <laughs> okay, yeah. Yeah, that's true. One like. That, that's a good one. One like. Who lineup, who, by the way? Who liked it? Uh, Not hyphenated decks. Yeah, I, I, I'm well aware. And, Someone you know, who and the L is yeah. lowercase. Yes, I know. Like I said, that nothing has really changed. By the way, that, <laughs> years that dangerous 2012 Twins team went 66 and 96 on the season. And Danny V was demoted shortly after that tweet and then traded to Boston, I believe, in the same year. So yeah. not... A great year for what's us. The corner lock? Dude. What's the corner locker story with Valencia, Phil? Oh, I'll give that to you here. By the way, Danny Valencia, a uh, dangerous Danny Valencia, batted 198. He was dangerous at the clubs, you guys. That's what Dex, Dex was talking about. He batted 198 with a 212 on base percentage for the Twins in 34 games that season. So great call by Dex. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to think. I think it was – so Michael Kadire was going back and forth between Twins and Rockies in free agency going into 2012, I think it was. And it wound up that he signed with Colorado for a three-year contract. So the Twins then eventually brought in Josh Willingham. But the day that Michael Kadire signed with the Rockies, that news hits. And immediately, and I, I can't remember who I heard this from, someone in the Twins clubhouse, Danny Valencia immediately calls or texts the clubhouse attendant and says, dibs on that corner locker. So the way that baseball locker rooms work, you, you guys know this, but <laughs> yep. there's four... <laughs> like double wide lockers for the foremost established veteran players or leaders or whatever it may be like Joe Maurer, Joe Nathan at one point, I think Glenn Perkins might've had one. I can't remember, Maybe he did. but uh, Justin Morneau had one and Danny Valencia has been in the big leagues for 10 minutes at this point. 
And there are other veterans on this team, too. Like Justin Morneau was still on the team. Joe Maurer, Denard Spann was still on the team going into 2012. And he picks up the phone after hitting like 15 home runs in 2011. <laughs> He's like, hey, Dibs, I'm a leader now. Dibs on that Kadir locker. <laughs> Sounds like a episode of Entourage or something. I think Danny I, Valencia is a walking, living Vinny Chase. Yes. Basically. Without without the Aquaman. Without the Aquaman. And I won't go too much. I'm a big Entourage fan. I don't want to go too much farther than that. So uh, that is old tweets exposed here. Nobody is safe on Maggie and Judd. Jay Williams from the new ESPN Radio Morning Show joining us here on Mackie and Judd. Uh, Jay, thanks for coming on, and we're looking forward to to having you on and and talking not only basketball but all kinds of different things across the spectrum over the coming months. So thanks for coming on, man. No, it's my pleasure for being here. Sorry for interrupting the conversation. And if you hear a lot of kids in the background, it's today's (laughs) the first introductory day for my daughter's two-year-old program. So sorry about that. It's all good. First of all, we do pre-record a lot of our stuff here, and so we're pre-recording, so we can edit any of our awkward clunkiness out there. But we, we appreciate you calling in and uh, and hanging out with us. So um, can we can we pepper you actually with some some reckless Timberwolves? I know we're in the middle of the NBA oh, playoffs right now, please. but the Wolves have I the number one overall. Speculation. Okay, well, if, wow. Just and just so you know, I think you were a part of on Get Up when you were a part of Get Up, and uh, and Mike Greenberg comes on our show every couple months or so. And Mike Greenberg blatantly stole this segment. Reckless speculation. He did tell us, I'm going to steal that and bring it up with the guys in the morning the next day. But reckless speculation uh, was founded here on Mackie and Judd. If you were running the Timberwolves, would you look to trade the number one overall pick? Or would you look to pick the best available potential superstar and, and see what happens? Uh, I would look to see what what tradable assets I can get, uh, obviously, for that. I mean, I I don't think Phoenix or teams like that are going to let go of a guy like Devin Booker, but I would obviously look to see what the market could potentially provide. Uh, I will say this, though. You know, look, Carl Anthony Towns is a a dear friend of mine. I've known him for a long part of my life. We both went to St. Joseph's High School in Metuchen, New Jersey. I now have to claim that I am the second-best player to ever come out of that high school, unfortunately. Uh, (laughs) But for Cat and for D'Lo – I, I really, and I'm going to say this, guys, I do not think this is a sexy draft. I think this draft actually is not going to be that great. But I think there are a couple of gems. And when I look at Anthony Edwards, I almost feel like he has the demonstrative personality that you wish Andrew Wiggins would have had, right? And, and that's a game changer because he has the athletic ability. There are some questions about the drive from a defensive position sometimes. But I think ultimately the, the tool set that he has, that's a great problem to have. See what the trade market potentially could give you in return for a guy like that. If you can get something great, then make that move. But if not, I think he's a huge additive piece to your team, considering having a wing like that that can score a knockdown shooter, but also he has that mentality that he wants to rip your head off every time he plays. So with this as the starting point of the conversation, Jay, how close do you think the Wolves are being to not a championship team, but just a competitive um, playoff team in a tough conference? Um, it, that's going to be difficult in the West. But I would say, I mean, I, I think you're one or two players away. I think you're one or two players away. They, look, D'Lo has played at a high level when he was at Brooklyn, but D'Lo's always been a guy that, has overachieved, in my opinion. Now he can continue to overachieve when he's in Minnesota. But the question is, if you start setting higher expectations, I think he actually can get them there along with Cap. But you need a demonstrative – you need a super, superstar. And I, I think Cap can be that, but I, I don't know if we have bigs being super, superstars anymore. I think we're seeing that. Think about Denver. Think about Jokic. Jokic is a really big-time player, right? But you ultimately need Jamal Murray to be a superstar yeah. to help you propel. And if D'Lo could be that or having a wing that could be that, I think you're still a couple of pieces away of big-time talent surrounding the talent that you currently have mm-hmm. in order to help you get there, especially in the West. When you've talked to Kat, um, what is the one thing that you've told him that you would love to see from his game that you think is lacking right now? He just needs to be a killer all the time. And I probably poor choice of words for me to use in today's climate. Um, but, like, he needs to be that person – that he just needs to take the next step. Uh, obviously, he had, I think he had a really good year. Uh, but I, I, I think for Cat, you know, you need to have – I mean, think about 
Jamal Murray is averaging 47 points over his last three games. Okay, I'm not saying that Cat needs to average 47 points, but Cat's numbers just need to continue to trend in that direction. And I think you need that from Zelo. And there needs to be a demonstrative. This is my team. I'm leading. We're gonna do it. We're gonna play hard. And I think actually, with the way management is going, building around Cat, it's his time to do that this year. It's it's finally time to show. Hey arrive on the scene and be that next level superstar that we know you can be. Yeah. It's a man. We when it's, it's been what, two years, I think since, uh, since Jimmy Butler or maybe three years was traded to the Timberwolves. And we think the idea of that three years ago was, wow, you, you've got this up and coming star and cat and, and you're going to have Jimmy Butler come in and show him the way. And it was like the, the exact opposite seemed to happen. And we just kind of wonder, you know, how much was Cat's growth as a star stunted by just sort of not having the infrastructure built around him until now, these last couple of years? Is it, is it, can you overcome it, I guess? Well, that, I mean, look, man, I, I only had a, a short taste at the league, and I know a lot of people love to speculate on where my career would have been. But I'll tell you this, you know, 99% of the possessions I ran in college were all high pick and roll. It was a guard-led offensive system. I then come to Chicago, I play for the Bulls, I'm playing for Bill Cartwright. We're running the triangle, which is a system ultimately built for the likes of Michael Jordan or Kobe Bryant. Look at the teams that have traditionally won championships with the triangle, right? Big wings, or you talk about having a low low post presence in Shaquille O'Neal. It's not built for the style in which I thrived in. So, So much of this, guys, depends upon having the right infrastructure in place, having the right system in place. I do believe that the coach is the answer there. Sanders, uh, I, I do believe that. It's just about now having the right pieces surrounding him. And I, I do believe that it's Cat's team now, and he needs to own it. That's the biggest thing, like pounding your chest and own it. And now with having the first pick in the draft, you're able to get Anthony Edwards or you're able to get something on the trade asset market. Like Cat needs to be very demonstrative with his voice and what he wants and what he feels like he needs in order to win a world championship. Because ultimately, that's what Cat is there to do. I know that personally from him. He wants to win more than anything in the world. But it's time also now to say, this is what it takes for us to win and have management believe in you and get it done. Uh, by the way, Twin Cities audience, you can find Keyshawn, Jay, and Zubin every morning. They just started their new morning show a couple weeks ago. Uh, and you can listen here in the Twin Cities on Score North, AM 1500, 5 a.m. to 9 a.m. Uh, Jay's going to pop on on Tuesdays on our show here, Mackie and Judd. And, uh, and and drop some knowledge and some expertise. And so, real quick, before we say goodbye, Jay. Reckless just for speculation. Fun. Just, just for fun. Just for fun. So, we're, we, we, the Devin Booker stuff was kind of fun here a couple months ago until the Suns went 8-0 in the bubble, and it's very clear that they're, they're not trading Devin Booker at all this offseason. But let's just say between Ben Simmons and Bradley Beal, a couple guys that could also be on the move at some point. Percentage right, chance. Percentage chance. Bradley and and Cat, give me Bradley, give me Bradley. Give percent me Bradley percent right chance he gets traded this offseason. How much money? Wait, it doesn't matter. Give me Bradley. Give me, reckless speculation reckless behavior right now. Very reckless, and I do not care. <laughs> I, I I I love I love who Bradley Bill is. Oh my God, you're gonna surround Cat with a sharpshooter with a guy that can give you 40, 50 points with D'Lo, who can make magic. I mean, he can make anything happen out of water with those two players around him. Give me Bradley Beal all day. I, if I were Cat and if I were D'Lo right now, I'd be DMing him. I'd be sending him flowers. I'd be sending him steak. Whatever the hell you want to send him, I do not care. If you can get that done with this reckless behavior that I'm having right now, <laughs> the game would change in Minnesota. I love Minnesota. Look, I won a championship in Minneapolis, okay? I understand how incredible that city is and the winning tradition that needs to be there. I'm already a Timberwolves fan. I've been saying this for a while. Uh, If you got Bradley Bill, I might buy season tickets to this day. And I live live in Connecticut, damn it. I will buy season tickets to Minnesota Timberwolves games, and I will be out there for those games. It would be so much fun. a dynamic team. How do you see that guy, man? Do flowers work? (laughs) I I don't know. Can we try try flowers? I I like it. I mean, like, dude, Beal has been sitting out there for, like, he's put in his time. I get that they want to they want to take one more shot at the John Wall-Bradley Beal thing, but it's been, like, eight years. He's put in his time. It's time for a change of scenery. We need, yeah, a, t- we need I'm a hashtag. Glad, I'm going I'm to say this with all due respect, which you know what comes after that comment, something disrespectful. <laughs> but, like, I, I, I can't wait around for John. How much longer can I wait for you, yeah. John? 
Yeah. How much longer can I wait for you? Now, I, I know you're doing 360 dunks, and I, look, I think John can get back, but the reality is, like, Bradley, you're only young for this long, right? Like, be with some other young Thundercats that can get the job done. I mean, that, then you think about the youth that they have with the pieces that they have, with the style in which they can play. Talk about up and, game, up and style. Like, those three, their style together would fit exactly with where the NBA is today and how you win a world championship. Yeah. That's Jay Williams, man, and we and just we're not blowing smoke here. The the three of us were regular viewers the last couple of years of, of Get Up, and so it's been fun to watch you grow on that show, and um, and we're pumped for you, Keyshawn and Zubin, to to crush it in the mornings on uh, on Score North here in the Twin Cities AM fifteen hundred. So looking forward to the conversations. You guys got to bring me in for more of this reckless conversation. I really like it. Oh, we're all about it. We are all about it, Jay Williams. Yeah, anything. Listen, I mean, literally anything. If you want, yeah, baseball, football. Whatever you want. You want to speculate on Marvel movies. Like, we're here. We're here for you. Okay. All right. I'm going to start calling in randomly. You guys got it. All right. See you, Jay. Awesome. Appreciate Thanks. it, man. Bye. All right. That's Jay Williams. And I, he's he's going to come on I, probably every Tuesday, but whenever his schedule allows. And so um, I think that that discussion was a good glimpse into his fun personality and and what uh, the conversations we're going to have. I didn't know that he was that tight with Cat. No, I didn't either. That's going to be great. Until Cat gets off to a slow start, and then we have to have some tough conversations. Mm-hmm. But his good friend, I bet he'd do it though, for sure. I bet he'd do he's it. He's a tough love guy. He is. He is low key one of the most connected guys in the NBA. He's tight with Kevin Durant. He's tight with most of the top superstars. Mm-hmm. He was actually having lunch with or he lunch or like he was he was with the Bucks owner when the Bucks decided to boycott a few days ago. He's oh, was just he like really? hanging out with the Bucks owner? Like he's in oh, interesting. super high level nice. circles in the NBA. So it'll be fun to uh, to talk with him. And a lot of reckless speculation. This holiday, whether you're making a Baker's Simple Truth Turkey for 40 or a Murray's Baked Brie for two, Baker's has fast, fresh delivery and free pickup. So you can make holiday meals that bring you all together to create memories that last. Baker's, fresh for everyone. Free pickup on orders of $35 or more. Restrictions may apply. Get more ways to save at the Buy 5 or More Save $1 each sale. Just buy five or more participating items and save a dollar each with card. Bakers, fresh for everyone.